This is Brian Reisman. Welcome to Side Jams, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. I'd like to thank Pantheon sponsor AKG for their support of this podcast. If you like what you hear, please dive into other episodes and subscribe or follow to keep up with the latest ones. Hi, this is Richie Kotzen. You're listening to Side Jams with Brian Reisman. Impassioned singer Diamante loves to combine 2000s pop rock with 80s rock, and on her latest album American Dream, she works that combo to the max. She managed to write new songs and complete other ones she had been working on, and record them all over the past year, and she's eager to take the new tunes on the road. During quarantine, she's also finished studying for her bachelor's degree in business administration at the University of Redlands in Southern California, which should prove useful in her chosen career. She's been alternating between touring and studying for years, so she felt empowered to get her degree, finish her new album, and express deep thoughts about a major breakup she went through. For episode 45 of Side Jams, Diamante talked to me about getting a higher education while planning to take her career higher. Our initial discussion about her college studies led us into chatting about her multicultural and multilingual upbringing, which began in my home state of Massachusetts before her family moved west and she attended Beverly Hills High. The blue-haired singer and I had a fun time discussing her family roots, love for the 80s, and creating stronger friend and family bonds during the pandemic. She also told me about the harrowing experience of having her dog stolen, and how, amazingly, he was returned to her. Our Zoom interview started with us discussing my music library and the various music-related items in her space. Yeah, so, this is my collection. I was going to say, that's a very impressive collection. And there's your American flag and your guitars. Yeah! And a stool with a star on it, I see in the background. There is a stool with a star on it. Any any significance to the star? No. Well, to the right of me, there's this, like, kind of recording, but it's not really a booth. It's just a microphone in the corner. And if someone wants to sit, then that's what it's <laughs> Very cool. Well, thank you for taking the time to chat. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. I've been checking out the new album, and I was enjoying I, I like the fact that uh, I think Obvious has a little bit of, has a kind of a Sabbathy intro to it. It goes yeah. in a different direction. We're like, yeah, here's some Sabbath. And then totally. it's cool. Like you exude a lot of energy. And at the same time, there's a lot of vulnerability to the lyrics. Yeah. I mean, the album rocks out, but you're, you have sort of a lot of self-doubt in there's yeah. the relationships on this album. And then you have to reverse the Joan Jett thing of I love myself for hating you. <laughs> I had to. I had to do it. Was there a lot of relationship by people that inspired this? Or was it just stuff you've been writing over time? Yeah, absolutely. Um, every song on this album directly happened to me so that's why it's all very personal very detailed and that's why you hear like a chunk of songs about a terrible heartbreak because that had happened to me two years ago when I started writing for this album and then mm. you see like a, a little story arc where I, I come out of that and then I end up meeting somebody new and that's when you get to like hopeless and then uh, I'm more empowered at this point and so there's like an upwards trajectory and this all happened in the span of two years. So, yeah, you definitely hear the storyline in the album. Things got better. And then I had a song called Hopeless. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love ironic song titles. They're just like, oh, how could it get it any worse with the song Hopeless? <laughs> and it's the one love song on the album. And after this past year we've all been through, it's just like, that's just how we feel <laughs> now. <laughs> so, but uh, you're from the Boston area. Yeah. And so am I. You are? No way. What part? Lexington. Lexington. I'm Newton. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Both we have both had good school systems. I think we're probably were competitors of sports too, I imagine. 
Probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then you went out to L.A. And it's funny because I lived in L.A. the summer of 1990 and then the summer of 91 to the fall of 93. So right at the end of the hairband cycle. Wow. That was an interesting time. What was that like? Well, the summer of 1990, my ex-roommate and I, Sven, one of my college uh, classmates, he and I lived at Hollywood Boulevard in North Fuller, which is two blocks north of the Rock and Roll Ralphs. Oh. It was like senior citizens by day, rockers by night. (laughs) Although the only rocker that I recognized was Tammy Down. I saw him a couple times, Pastor Pussycat. It was just the thing where like I had hair third of the way down my back. Amazing. It was great. My ex-roommate had blonde hair, blue eyes, short hair. So if we went to Malibu and he wanted to boogie board, then all the women would check him out. We come back to the complex and all the women are checking me out because that's how that worked. <laughs> Some guy, I remember going by this guy's room and he was practicing his scream. He's like, I'm going to give you my love. You know, and it's like, there's no music. It's just he's singing to whatever he's got on the headphones. I'm like, this is really 80s, man. <laughs> That's amazing. I wish I could have seen all that. I really do. Well, cruising the Sunset Strip back then, it would take you 45 minutes to go a mile to cruise through the Strip on the weekend. And uh-huh. they started to make that illegal because it was like all people wanted to do was to check out the dudes with the long hair, the girls with the big hair and the stilettos. And like, yeah, it was it was what it looked like. <laughs> But you didn't want to be on a bill with a band that wasn't fit. It didn't fit. So I saw a group. I went to the Roxy for the first time. And it was 89. There was a pop band that opened up. And all these kids are dancing. And then this metal band called The Kingdom comes on. And people have no idea what to think because it's twice as loud. And somebody in the middle of the set yells out, play something with some rhythm in it. <laughs> so That's cool. have you ever been on bills like that? Where like you were like, I clearly shouldn't be here right now. Oh, yeah, for sure. Especially when I first started out, I would always get put on bills with a bunch of pop acts or like um, I did shows with when Vine was a thing, like Vine stars and YouTubers and kind of social media kids. Oh, Vine. Oh, my God. Who happened to sing pop music. And then I would come on and and do this rock set and and the kids in the crowd would just look at me like, I'm kind of scared, but I kind of like it, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Because you do sort of walk a line between pop and hard rock. I mean, you've got the hard rock yeah. energy, but you've got the pop hooks. For sure, yeah. And you embrace that, make you like that. I do, I really do. I grew up on 2000s pop rock, and I think that's why that's so embedded in me. Like, I can hear it. Avril Lavigne and Pink and, and Kelly Clarkson. And, and, uh, and then I found the women of the 80s, and I realized, you know, like Pat Benatar and, and Stevie Nicks, and they were singing these rock songs, but they had these pop hooks and all these pop sensibilities. And that's what I loved about them. And you make a reference in American dream to like, you know, the the classic rock that never goes out of style. I mean, I feel like the eighties revival hasn't ended. It's been going on for 20 years. Yeah. The nineties is coming up, but the eighties still feels stronger to me. Yeah. How do a lot of people, a lot of women your age view that whole era warts and all. Um, I mean, that's the funny thing is even my friends who, aren't necessarily like rock isn't their favorite genre. You play them any 80s rock song and, and they love it and they know exactly what it is. And that's what I, it's like, it's iconic and it never goes out of style. Everyone loves the hits from the 80s, no matter what kind of music you listen to now. Really? That's interesting. Like what groups are sort of like the biggest now, do you think from the 80s that seem to hold over or cross over to people your age? Um, I would say... I mean, Guns N' Roses, they're still killing it. They're still touring like crazy. I mean, not now, obviously, but they were killing it and touring like crazy. Um, ACDC just released an entirely new album, which is insane to me. So cool. Um, And then they're not 80s, but like you have bands like Fleetwood Mac who are blowing up because of TikTok. 
and people think that I know the song is brand new. Like, wow, we love this new song. <laughs> it's like, no, dude, it's been out for a while, <laughs> but uh, it still resonates today. That's cool. cool to know, actually. And now, on, on top of your music, I know that you're because I do obviously doing doing this thing for side jams. You also you've been going to college. Yeah. In the midst of all this, what are you studying? Where are you? What inspired this? I, uh, well, when I was 19, I decided to also go to college kind of because my mom at the age of 34 graduated from Harvard with four kids. So when, wow. whenever people from like, growing up in high school, my teachers would always tell me, you can't do this music thing. If you want to get good grades, you can't be playing shows. You got to do school. Stop this nonsense. And then on the music side, I had producers or whoever label people telling me, you can't go to college. You're, you're a musician. This is what you do. And so I, I kind of never wanted to listen to either party <laughs> because I saw <laughs> my mom do the impossible, go to an Ivy League school with four kids. And I went to her graduation and everything. So I decided to, to go to college and do music. And for the last six years, it's been do a semester of school, go on a tour, do a semester of school, go on a tour. So that's why it took me much longer than normal to, to finish. But because of COVID this last year, and I wasn't touring, I was able to just go full time and push through. And so now I have two classes left and I graduate in May, which is. And which, are the two, which are the two classes that are left? It's a international business class and mm-hmm. a uh, finance class. So I'm going for business because I figured there's so much you can apply to music and music business. And um, especially someone like me who I'm independent and I kind of need to know a lot of things so I don't get screwed over. So it's been, it's been cool doing both at the same time. That's cool. So it's like a BA, a BFA. I even forget. BA, Yeah. And what's in it? It's a music business or it's it's just what they say. Just a business administration. It's good to do that. I mean, I have a friend who was in a band, a metal band, and he actually during a down period in the band when they had also been screwed over by their manager, he went to study business. And so when the band came back and started getting a big European following, he knew exactly what to do. Yeah. And he didn't need to worry about listening to somebody else or trust somebody else. Exactly. Because I'm sure you'll be able to do that. You can say, oh, the, yeah, my manager's not doing this or whoever, you know, if you're dealing with a tour manager, by the way, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm assuming you have good people around you anyway, but going back and forth, does that actually, that's got to be interesting though. I mean, imagine that, does that help you creatively to have a little bit of breaks, like you're focusing on music and then you have to jump back into school? Yeah, it did. Um, like I said, I'd go on a tour and then I'd do a semester and I'd, like the first two years of college, I took really interesting classes, like the history of punk rock and uh, uh. women and witchcraft and like Japan pop culture. And, and I just, I, in like, I took all these things in like a sponge and, uh, I would take like Gothic literature classes. So I would totally pull from that and into my writing. And, and I think um, going back and forth was good for me because um, it gave, it gave me a break as well. You had way, way more fun college classes than I did. That's kind of unfair. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, you're like technically not supposed to do that. You're supposed to kind of balance out the, you know, the, the fun classes and the ones you have to take eventually. And the first two years, I was like, oh, fun classes. And so these, these last two years, it's just been strictly business, which has also been fun. But at the beginning, I was like, let's just take everything crazy. No, that's cool, though. I mean, I think things have changed. There were a lot of these classes that just didn't exist when I was coming up. One of the things I've learned, I don't know, and maybe this applies to you with these classes, is that you don't, you learn better when it's something you're interested in. Absolutely. I I just found a lot of school, outside of art, a lot of it to me was like, oh, and I'm like, am I an idiot? And I'm like, no, I get good grades. It's just, 
you, there's different types of intelligences. Yeah. So how many people were aware that you were a singer? I, they probably figured out you're like, they probably figured music because you've got blue hair. But <laughs> like back in the day with a guy, if you're a guy with long hair, <laughs> oh, you got to be in the music business. I, I definitely got some weird looks. Um, the thing is, when I was in high school, I was very vocal about the fact that I wanted to, to pursue music and I would play shows and I'd invite all these people from my high school to come out and, and see the shows. And I ended up getting really bullied for it, especially by like, you know, the older girls be like, Oh, you're trying to do music. Huh? And so I got a hard time for it. And when I went to college, I kind of, and even teachers too, they, they gave me a hard time for doing music. So I went to college. Huh. My mindset was like, stay on the DL. Don't, don't say you do anything. Just pretend like you're a normal kid. And, uh, you know, people who either found me on social media or, or whatever, or even just did like a lookup would, would find out. And I'd be like, yeah, you know, that's what I do. But I didn't go broadcasting it just because I was so scarred by my high school experience. <laughs> and uh, I think it was, it was better that way. But this is in Newton you're talking about. No. So I went to high school in Beverly Hills. Oh, I, that's right. Because you did, you were in, spent your teen years in LA. So it was very, yeah. even then, either Newton or Beverly Hills, I'm, it's LA. Really? I, I know. That's what you... People are jerks like, wow. Think, right? But no, you'd think I was doing like the weirdest thing ever. So this is like the bad version of 90210. So what yeah. you're telling me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> was this actually Beverly Hills High School? Was it, it was on the same, wasn't the same high school? No, it was Beverly Hills High School. I, I think in high school, though, there's a lot of that anyway. People get envious. Yeah. You know, I mean, that you, you've you decided you're going to stand out. And it's always been that way. Did your mom... It, it sounds like your mom's a very independent woman in yeah. Was, was she, did she have a similar experience, do you think, growing up as you did? Um, no. My mom was like, yeah, I was one of the popular kids. And she, I think, because she grew up in Mexico. So I think the culture there is also just different. Oh, yeah. And my dad, he was also one of the cool guys when he was growing up. And he grew up in Italy. So I don't know, man. I don't know if it's just a thing that happens here. But um, You have an interesting heritage. I, I do, yeah. I do. And my mom grew up in Cuba. She's Spanish, French, Syrian. My dad grew up in Illinois, and he's German, Irish, Scottish, English, I think. That's cool. It's interesting because it gives you a different perspective, doesn't it, than the average American? Because you're, I mean, your parents both came from two completely different continents. Yeah. How do, how do you think that affected the way you viewed things, the world, when you were growing up? Um, I'd say that it's made me very grounded and family-oriented, just because family is number one in both Mexican and Italian cultures. Yeah. And especially, I remember dinner time. Growing up as a kid, it was, we all sit at the table, we all eat together, no one gets up until everyone's done, and there's always like an hour-long discussion after the meal about life and science and philosophy. My dad would always lead these conversations, so I think that totally had an impact on how I grew up. I think my parents, up until maybe I was in high school, was sort of, we would have dinner together and then my mom my mom was a piano teacher and was a classically trained piano so she would be teaching in the house oh that's cool yeah although a lot of times i would be going upstairs like sneaking upstairs and listening to music with headphones because i listen to metal so i couldn't like, disturb <laughs> the lessons too much because you had the mexican and italian side i mean are there certain things that you grew up with that that have stuck with you and did you hear it spanish and italian being spoken oh yeah my household was just this weird like blend of languages because my siblings and I all speak English to each other. My mom 
she speaks English to us, but if we were in Mexico, we'd start speaking Spanish. My dad refused to speak English my entire life, so only spoke to us in Italian. But we, for some reason, responded back in English. So it's just so bizarre. So if someone says something in Italian to me, I know exactly what they're saying. I understand the language 100%, but I don't speak it because I never spoke Italian, which is weird, but I do speak Spanish because I did do that. So wait, so you, under- that- you understood what you basically got to understand what he was saying. Oh, yeah. He'll have like full on dissertations with me in Italian and I know exactly what he's saying. And I'll be like, yeah, I agree with you, dad. <laughs> you can't speak Italian. <laughs> it's so funny. I don't know how that happened. Um, I think my palate is definitely influenced by my upbringing. Like I love spicy everything because of my mom. Um, and I, I appreciate food because of my dad, because he has always been a foodie. He's an, an incredible cook and he would teach me a lot about what goes with what. So I think my whole like obsession with food comes from them. Definitely. Yeah. It's that's cool. Yeah. My mom, I think I had, I had some things that were middle Eastern or some things that were Cuban, like the chicken and rice. I never thought about it cause it was just food. Yeah. And you went to Mexico. Did you, did you go to Italy as well? I did. When I was three, four years old, I actually lived in Rome for like two years. I don't remember much of it cause I was so little. Oh. And uh, every winter we would go to this place called Cortina, which is, near Switzerland, it's the Alps. And we would go on skiing trips up until I was like 12. And then Mexico, I'd go every summer because my grandma still lives there. And she has like this beautiful house there with like this property. And it was like this wonderland for me when I was little. It was so cool. So when do you think you'll get your degree then? Like the fall or like the the end of the year? Well, well, I technically get my degree at the end of June. Really? But you had two more classes, you said, right? Yeah. Well, uh, two more classes that end uh, in the middle of June. So I'll oh, get okay. It oh, okay. Sorry. Okay. But I'm graduate. Like I'm doing the whole virtual graduation on May first. So. Oh man, I was thinking it was too bad you couldn't do like the blue cap and gown that everybody does, and it fits with no. your hair. It'll just all blend together. I know my my cap and gown is black. It is. I feel bad for kids that are like seven years old that have to do all this virtual stuff. It's got to be super weird for them. It's rough. I have two younger brothers and. Uh, my youngest brother had to graduate high school virtually that and he didn't get to do prom or, or any like the normal high school stuff. So that sucked. Yeah. And now both my brothers are like first year in college on a laptop and it's really hard for them. And it's like, it's, it's a bummer, man. How, how have you felt as a performer? How have I felt as a performer? I've about this whole time. Yeah. Cause a lot of people are uh, obviously missing the stage and I, I, I gotta be honest at the beginning of this, I definitely had an identity crisis. I was like, what do I do now? Cause I had, I had made the performer side of me so embedded in who I am as a person. Yeah. And I, I always thought of like, you know, I'm, I'm Diamante and I tour and that's what I do. And I'm going to do this forever and I'm unstoppable and nothing's going to change. Mm-hmm. And when everything got flipped upside down on its head, I had this shock of, of like, who am I now? <laughs> what do I do in my life? So after that, that kind of wore off, I just decided to make the best out of the situation. And that's why I was able to write and record this whole next album because I was home and I wouldn't have been able to do that if I was on tour. And that's why I decided to go to school full time. So now it, it's awesome because because of this last year, I'm releasing my second album and graduating college in the same week. <laughs> it's so cool. because that's that would Yeah. 
That's cool. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, it's interesting. I was going to say, yeah, and I wrote five new albums now. You know, it's like <laughs> <laughs> Romstein evidently has recorded a new album. I don't think they plan to do that. Like, well, yeah. we had yeah. some free time. It is as it's kind of odd as an artist sometimes, because even though you have a strong sense of self, a lot of your sense of self is connected to what you do. Absolutely. And your validation. Yeah. And I, and I think a lot of artists suffer from depression because when they're not, I'll notice I get depressed when I'm not doing all the things I want or not getting as much stuff. And then when I'm really busy, you know, or I'm doing all this stuff, I'm a lot happier. Yeah. Depression just goes out the window. <laughs> you get a little stressed like, oh, no, no, I have too much. Um, yeah. that, that, that happens too. Are there other things, are there passions you have outside of music, other things that make you happy, that bring you joy in your life? I, I love hanging out. I've realized this too this last year because I've come to learn how fragile life is and how anything can just end at any given moment. So yeah. I made it a point to really be with my family as much as possible. Um, my dog, Nico, I hung out with him all the time because he got stolen back in January and we got him back. Oh, that's so, right. I saw you tweeted about that. And that doesn't happen very often either. I know. The chance of us getting him back was like 2%, dude. It was it was nuts. Well, what's for, just for the podcast, what's sort of the Cliff Notes or the Diamantes version of that? My youngest brother, Luca, dropped my dog, Nico, off at his friend's house and figured he'd be fine there, you know, with another family and with another dog. And the door got open and Nico ran out. And this was in Burbank, California. And he sprinted down the street for two miles before. And all these cars were running, like chasing after him so that he wouldn't get hit. And uh, this young couple managed to grab a hold of him. And then another couple, like middle-aged, pulled up in front of them and said, you found our dog, Bobby. And just straight up lied and and claimed that it was their dog. And so- Wow. Poor young couple just handed, you know, my dog over to them thinking, okay, well, we helped them find their dog. And uh, we were devastated. We, I thought like there's, I'm never seeing my dog again. You know, these people took him, said they were, it was his, that's it. End of story. But me, my mom and my sister, we would wake up every morning at like six in the morning. We drive down to Burbank. We hung up like 2000 flyers or something crazy like that. Just absolutely out of our minds trying to find him and get him back. And nine days go by and the people who stole him call us and say, we have your dog. We don't want to tell you who we are, where we live or how we got him. We just want to give him back to you. And so we, we met up and it was a miracle, honestly, total miracle. Jerks. (laughs) But I guess not as terrible. I guess they they had a conscience. At least, yeah, at least they, they brought him back. Yeah, it's weird. I don't know why. I, I've been hearing about that, a lot of pet thefts actually going on, I think, during the pandemic. I mean, there's been a lot of adoptions. My girlfriend adopted a cat, which I think oh. has really been a lifesaver for her. But yeah, it's weird. I don't know what gets into people doing stuff like that. Well, I, I looked it up and apparently because the last year has made people just so lonely and, and depressed, the demand for pets has just skyrocketed. And so pet thieves have taken advantage of this. And there's been a lot, like, if, especially if your dog's a purebred, like mine, and they're one of the more expensive breeds, they will uh, get snatched. Like, that's why you heard the story about Gaga a, a couple months ago and her three or two dogs getting stolen and the dog walker getting shot. It's just crazy. What actually happened with that? I haven't even followed up with that. Well, yeah. Thankfully, the dog walker survived the, the three or four gunshots, which is crazy. That is nuts. And, um, some woman, like showed up three days later with the dogs and said, I have your dogs and I'm not connected to the people who stole him. I'm glad that worked out because that's, that's gotta be, that has been, been really just heartbreaking. 
It, it was. And that was one huge moment for me that showed me anything can, can disappear. Anything can end. Anything can, can go away at any given moment. So you have to be grateful for what you have when you have it. It's good to learn that when you're younger, I think a lot of times, and I and a lot of people, other people I know were younger, you didn't think about stuff like that as much or something yeah. wouldn't happen to, to be a catalyst for that change of perspective. So how do you feel like your, your bond with your family is different now? Oh, it's, it's so much better because like I said, I, my mentality was everything's going to be this way forever. So I would go two weeks without seeing them, even though I live 10 minutes away from them because I figured they're going to always be there. It's fine. And now any chance I get to go see them, I go see them because life is just so short. And um, that's the same with like friends. I've definitely kept in touch with my friends way more often. I would, I'd go on tour and I wouldn't talk to my friends for two months. I'd be like, oh, they'll be back when I come back to LA and we'll hang out and it's fine. So just uh, appreciating people more. I definitely think I've done. It's funny because I've known people who lived out of town and then they moved into New York and then I saw them less. Because you're like, oh, I'll <laughs> see them at some point. And I've, yeah. in the past year, I've actually, I found myself reaching out to people I don't stay in touch with as much. Yeah. Like there's, I almost feel like I've taken some of my friends for granted. And then some of them, I'm like, I haven't talked, spoken to this person in like five years. Maybe I yeah. should sit down now and have a conversation with them, which I've done. I mean, people actually appreciate that because we have kind of gotten into these weird little bubbles now. Absolutely. I mean, you know, look, you're used to, I'm sure, recording for hours on end and being at home and I'm used to writing. And even near the end, now it's starting to get to me. Like for a while, I'm like, oh, okay. Because I'm sure after you go out on tour, you're tired of people. And I think with social media too, you're like, as long as you see what your friends are up to and what they're doing, whatever they post, like, yeah, I know their lives are good. I don't have to necessarily reach out to them, which I think is it's false. You should totally be reaching out to your friends as, as much as you can. Yeah. Social media is kind of a weird thing too. I've, I've, I've realized as I get older, it's like, I have to, I'm sure you ignore a lot of the noise on there. Cause yeah. after a while you get a lot of cranky people. Like I've learned to disengage now a lot more or like on Facebook with arguments, you just have to be like, all right, fine. Oh yeah. I don't, I don't even go on Facebook anymore. Is there anything else we, we should talk about? Just that the album comes out on May 7th and I have some festivals booked in September that I'm stoked for that hopefully happen. I have a lot of really cool music videos that I'm going to release for the album soon that I'm so stoked for people to see. And yeah, that's it. I mean, how do you feel about people getting back to performing? Like, I'm a little wary right now. Like, I'm, I don't think we should be jumping right into it right away. I, uh, Depends on the state, too, unfortunately. It, it does, because I know already right now there's so many shows and tours happening in some parts of the country. Um, I'm excited for how the actual energy of the show is going to feel. I know when shows are really back up and running and it's and it's safe to do so that the fans are gonna be like this is incredible we never thought this was gonna happen again and the performers are gonna be on stage thinking this is incredible i get to do what i was supposed to do again so i'm excited to see what that's gonna be like and has it been easier for you getting the videos done and planning everything for the album because of the downtime yeah has it been less stressful for you yeah i would say so i think um more so than the, like the shooting the videos and the planning, I think it was like the creation process of the album was a lot easier because I'm not, I'm not that artist who likes to, to write a couple songs, go on tour, come back and write and then go back on tour. Cause it kind of gets me out of the zone. And it's hard for me to write when I'm on tour because my head is just so in the, 
I'm like, I'm here at this venue and I'm playing a show today and, I'm, and I got all this adrenaline and, and I'm not in creative mode. I'm in performer mode. And I know some people love riding on the road, but for some reason, I just, I can't do it. I like writing when I'm home. So I like having a long period of time where all I have to do is write. And that's what happened this last year. So it all worked out. Well, I remember, I remember went backstage at a Black Eyed Peas show, actually, because I was writing about like, the sound and the, all the technical stuff. And Will I Am was just there with this setup in this room. He had this whole setup he brought on tour with him. Yeah, a lot of people do that. Whenever, whatever chance he could get, he would, he would record stuff or jam. And I, I can see that some people just have that obsessive need to do it. But I can also understand being on a tour bus is probably not the most relaxing and conducive yeah. place. Or like you're in a green room with 10 other people. It's hard to sit down and focus. <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you. It was great to chat with yeah, you. Yeah, thank you so much. This was awesome. Well, good luck with the new album. Thank you so much. Have fun. Happy graduation, even though I know it's not the same thing. Maybe you guys can have a belated party or something. Yeah, that's that's the goal. It is. It, well, hopefully maybe your brother can do that too with his high school friends later on, you know? Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, man. This was awesome. See you later. Bye-bye. That wraps up the latest Side Jams. Please join me next time when my guest will be Damon Johnson. As always, my theme music comes from Fox and the Law, licensed through AudioSocket. Thank you very much for listening and your support. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.